another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Beulah Girl podcast. I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. I'm so excited to be kicking off a brand new series for this month. And in this series, we will be focusing on Isaiah 49 and also talking about disappointment and having hope despite or in the midst of disappointing circumstances. I don't know where you find yourselves if um, as you're listening right now, what your circumstance is, but for the next few episodes, I just want to focus on some comforting truths tucked in Isaiah 49 that will speak to those places where we may feel disillusioned with life where we're just, there's no other way to say it. We don't like where God has led us. We feel maybe let down because we thought it would look different or we're shocked by the difficulty we're facing, the pain. Maybe we just, you know, have been blindsided by circumstances that we just couldn't foresee and we may feel absolutely surrounded and we're wondering, you know, God, why is it I'm here and we we may just not even know how to have the strength to really keep going. We we may just be wanting to find the courage to face each day, but even though we're reading scripture or we're praying or we're we're trying to do the right things that maybe it just feels like, you know, we're going through the motions. And so I think that this these next few episodes really pinpoint some important truths in scripture that will help to really lift those thoughts of despair or disappointment if we're not where we would like to be or we just there's no other way to put it that we just feel disappointed in the place God has us in particular in this episode we're going to be looking at a biblical perspective of work and you know, really work that matters because a place of disappointment, I think that all of us can find ourselves in. And maybe this is true for you as you're listening. And, you know, if not now that maybe there'll be a place down the road where this will apply, or maybe there's a friend in your life that is going through, you know, some disappointment with work and this, this can be something to comfort them. But in particular, um, we can get to those places where, we may feel just extremely disappointed because we're not seeing the results that we thought we would or we're following God, but it it doesn't it doesn't look like we thought or it just, you know, the people that we're reaching out to aren't responding in the way that we thought they would or they seem to, you know, maybe they're just not even responding. They're just ignoring us, rejecting us. Um, we just seem to be making no headway. And so this episode really is focusing on, okay, looking at a, a right perspective of work and what deems our work meaningful because it can be very disappointing when we work and um, we don't have the results that we want. The English poet John Keats, he had the following written on his tombstone. My name was writ in water. And some mystery surrounds these words. It's not 100% clear what exactly he meant. But if we study his letters and we study what he said to friends, John Keats had 
and anxiety about his work and the he was you know his anxiety was that he would not be leaving a mark that it wouldn't be meaningful that he wasn't making an impact and his words really reflect that my name was written water you know he's saying that nothing is you know um lasting this just all melting away and and not making an impression and his words indicate a concern i think that plagues us all we want our work to matter and we want to be remembered and we want to leave a lasting mark and you know the other day i was getting my nails done and i was reading i believe it was good housekeeping and i was reading an article on jamie lee curtis and she is i believe she's nearing 60 or she is 60 but she was being interviewed and she was naming some of the projects she's involved in and, and she noted in the interview she just said you know that she was working on more projects than ever and doing as much as she could because she knows i mean she's now you know reaching old an older age she's she's more aware than ever that she's not going to be here forever and that her time is limited and so she's been working on as many projects as possible so just this desire that is you know we ha all have this desire to do something meaningful and to make our li lives count and so john keats says that very um beautifully with those words um but it's something that i think we all struggle with the world views leaving a mark as making a name for ourselves receiving recognition for an accomplishment or meaningful contribution you know, amassing wealth and worldly goods, particularly in the United States, we have, you know, the American dream, you know, of going from nothing to something of, you know, maybe um, starting a company and, you know, going from being, you know, poor to making a name in some way for ourselves. But the Bible defines a well-lived life as one that's contrary to this definition the bible defines a well-lived life as one lived in obedience to god and one lived for the glory of god jesus said about his own work and ministry he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work that's john 4 34. and similarly when asked what work god required jesus answered believe in the one he has sent and that's john 6 29. and if you look up the word believe there in the greek it means not only to be persuaded, to have like a mental consent to something, but it's literally to give oneself over to something. So it's talking about, Jesus is talking about here that the work of God is not just to have a mental idea in your mind, but it's to be entirely dependent on God and go where he leads. So there's an obedience component. And that is what he described as the work of God. And so you know, we may know this de definition, we may be aware of what the Bible says, and how we're to lose our life and to give up, you know, worldly pleasures and pursuits to follow Jesus. Um, but, you know, we may know, know that. Um, but it may, you know, it may when we're actually in that position, um, it may cause us to feel a little disappointed or discouraged when our situation isn't what we hoped for or dreamed of. I love how the Bible Dictionary of Themes defines disappointment. 
It's the sadness experience when people or circumstances do not fill expectations. So disappointment happens when there is a discrepancy between our reality and what we envisioned in our head. So why are, you know, we might have questions like, why are we not seeing the results, God? Why do I appear to be hidden? Why have you allowed so much pain? I mean, there are followers of Jesus who they're, they are following Jesus' lead and they do experience um, accomplishment and maybe even success in terms of, you know, worldly, um, you know, they have wealth and so forth. And they, uh, you know, they are right in the will of God and, and God allows them to have those things. But for others of us, our path may be more quiet, more be, may involve more out of the public eye. We may struggle more to make ends meet. Um, and we may not have the applause um, of anyone other than God. Um, it may even appear to, you know, others from a world perspective, worldly perspective that are, that, that, you know, we, what, where God has led us is led us to failure. But I want to just read a, a verse from Isaiah 49, that I, four, that I find so interesting. It says this, but I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hands, Lord's hand. And my reward is with my God. The message translation says it like this, but I said, I've worked for nothing. I've sh nothing to show for a life of hard work. Nevertheless, I'll let God have the last word. I'll let him pronounce the verdict. Now these words were written by Isaiah, but most scholars say that the speaker here is Jesus. And he, if you look in um, the rest of the passage, he refers to himself as Israel, which he's also speaking about Israel. So that can be kind of confusing. But what we can gather is that he's referring to himself as Israel as he embodies the ideal attributes of the nation. And it's not uncommon in other places in scripture for people to identify themselves by multiple names. But we gather just from other details that are given that it is Jesus speaking. And it's speaking, of course, projecting in the future what he would be saying about his work. Um, but what's very interesting is that Jesus, if it's, you know, we, we attribute these words to Jesus, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. You know, it's very interesting because I don't know about you, but I don't really think about Jesus as saying these kinds of things. I certainly know that Jesus suffered in many ways, but one way I don't often think of him as suffering is him working in vain, as it says. Um, if we look at Jesus's ministry, certainly his ministry was a success. We know that looking back now on what Jesus accomplished. Um, Christianity has spread all over the world. The gospel is in the hands of so many. I mean, it spread from just this tiny following of Jesus. And we now have salvation available where we do not have to, you know, live under the old covenant. We are as believers under the new covenant, Jesus accomplished what he came to do. His death, which, you know, some could say was a big failure, was not a failure at all because it was right in the father's will and accomplished what he wanted. And he rose from the dead. He didn't stay there. Um, so we can, you know, we can look at that now and say, okay, well, his overall um, 
ministry was a success, but as a whole, you know, even though there were many in his um, his own community that believed in him, that were healed by him, as a whole, his own people rejected him. Um, there were only 120 disciples that met after his ministry on earth ended. And, you know, he was completely rejected and even killed by his own people. And they questioned everything that he did. They questioned after he performed miracles, they accused him of all sorts of things, of performing miracles by the power of Satan. Um, they criticized and questioned everything he did and ultimately did not accept him as a Messiah, even though he came to save them. Um, and we too, as Christ followers, we will have similar experiences when we minister. We too will suffer in that we won't always get the results that we hope for. And many times there will be, as I mentioned, a discrepancy between our expectation and what actually happens. And this can lead to disappointment. Um, and I think it's important to note that even though Jesus does say here in these words, I've labored in vain, you know, I think it's important to note though, that Jesus never, um, spiraled down into any kind of despair because he always had a confidence about himself and what the father, um, had him do but i think it records these words here to show us the humanity of jesus he was 100 man 100 god and that even though he could always fall back on the um you know just have the, he had this confidence about what he was there to on he was put on earth to do that these words show his humanity that he suffered that no human can go through so much rejection and not be somewhat affected by it. And, you know, and so it's showing us that Jesus suffered because of how he was rejected. But what can we take away? Well, there's something interesting in this passage that I've kind of hinted at. And that is they that the passage says that he labored in vain, but it doesn't stop there. If we look at the second half of verse four, it says, Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. So we have this encouragement provided in the second half of the verse. The speaker, Jesus, reassures himself of the idea that what he is approved, that he is approved by God and his work will be evaluated by God, and God's evaluation is the only one that matters. Because here's where our unmet expectations will turn to d disappointment, despair, is if our desire to follow God hinges on the results we've envisioned in our mind and our happiness is determined by whether we meet our goals. We may not. I can't remember where I was reading something. I can't remember where I read this, but it just simply said, you know, we may not, we may not reach our goals and we have to be okay with that, that God may rewrite our goals and his ideas won't be anything like ours, but our success is centered not in what the world thinks of us, but rather whether or not we are obeying God and we're laboring for him in accordance to what he has asked us to do. And of course, you know, we're going to slip up, we're going to slide away, we're going to fail him, but he's going to keep pulling us back to our course. And though our labor may feel like it's in vain, it isn't. 
if we keep looking to him and following where he leads. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says this, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. I want to just point out in verse 5, it tells us, I want to just read this to you. Verse 5 um, of chapter Isaiah chapter 49. It says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. So here it says, here that God is um, has given honor, that Jesus says, I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and God has been his strength. Um we see this amazing paradox, though, because later it says in verse 7, um, this is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So it says in verse 5 that he's honored in the eyes of the Lord. But then in verse 7, it tells us he was despised and abhorred by his own people. And yet, kings bow down to him. And he has been chosen of the Lord. So it's this idea of a Messiah who appeared to be a failure, who had people reject him and not listen to him, and yet had an amazingly successful ministry. And this idea that even though his own people rejected him and he was sent to save his own people, he was sent to be the Messiah of the nation of Israel. He was also sent for a larger purpose, and that was for the rest of the world. And might we, if we're looking at the life of Jesus, gain some encouragement because if we look with tunnel vision, our own limited vision at the calling God has placed in our life, at the place God has us, we may not be able to see with our own eyes the purpose for where we are and what we're doing. But if we're working according to what God has us do, then truly what we're doing is a success and may have a purpose that we can't even see that is much larger and grander than we could ever know in our lifetime. And you know, that we can't see it at this moment. But Jesus, you know, he did not, was not received by his own people, but his overall ministry was a success. And he was able to reach all of the nations as he intended to do. This past week, we had a ladies event in our church and the speaker, um, was just a, a woman who attends the church, but she recently adopted a child from China. And she and her husband felt this incredible nudge to reach out, adopt a child from China. And they knew when they adopted him, she already has four children of her own, but they knew when they adopted him that he was going to have some disabilities and they knew there was going to be some special needs. And they didn't really know how much they would be able to handle or if they could handle it, but they just felt that they were supposed to 
go and adopt a child. So they adopted an 18-month-year-old boy, and he only had half a heart. And up until the time he ado- they adopted him, all he did was lay in his crib. And he could barely do, he could barely lift his head. He didn't move his hands. He didn't, he wasn't um, active and curious like children are at that age. Um, I don't know all that was involved, but he just didn't have the stimulation, the love that an infant should have. And, you know, he was in a desperate condition. They did not know when they were when she went to go and get him, she did not know if he would make it on the plane ride back to the States. She didn't know. And he was supposed to have a heart surgery right after that. She didn't know if he was going to make it through that. And so she just acted on faith and she went and adopted this little boy. They named him Oak because of the Bible verse about um, Oaks of, of righteousness and stepped out in faith and, he had a heart surgery and they had some health, you know, more surgeries after that. And they had a lot of health challenges where, you know, they did not know if he was going to survive, but he is now a four-year-old little boy and he is nonverbal. He does not speak, but he has successfully made it through heart surgeries. He's thriving. He's healthy, but because of his special needs, because of his health challenges and Everything he's gone through, the, the traumatic circumstances, which I don't know all of them, but that occurred before they adopted him, that he, you know, he is not able to go out many places if this, you know, the noise is too much or stimulation is too much for him. There are things that she cannot do as his mother right now because he requires constant care and he's not able to, to do as much as as um, other kids his age. And she was just sharing with us that, you know, she felt like the Lord told her that those limitations that she has right now in her life, those are bringing her closer to him. But she could easily grow bitter about that, could, could grow, you know, angry and say, you know, God, I can't do anything right now. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm all, you know, she could easily lament the situation she's in because there's a lot of difficulty as much joy as oak has brought them caring for a little boy and she has four other kids caring for a little boy with such tremendous needs um it has been very draining and takes a lot out of her um but you know one interesting thing that she says is that she and her husband just determined that they were going to give the love of Jesus to this little boy, whether he lived a week, a month, several years, and that 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 was their their objective. And you know, she can't stay out late or go certain places because her son gets overstimulated. Um, but she's not sinking into disappointment. She's um, right now. She knows that her work is to be the best mom she can to this little boy. And for all of us, our work is individually tailored to us, given to us by our creator. And our work may not look like adopting a little boy from China. It may look like teaching children in a public school system. It may look like going to the to an office place and being a Christian example and light to our coworkers around us. It may look like 
being a doctor. It may look like being a missionary overseas. It may look like writing devotionals. It may look like leading a women's Bible study for women, other women, or perhaps mentoring women younger than us. It may look like inviting, you know, um, our daughter's friends to our home and starting a, a Bible study for for teenage girls. God will lead us in different ways, but our work is that which he gives us to do. And the work that God gives us is the only work that matters. The rest doesn't matter. Um, one of the verses that um, that the, the woman that I mentioned shared that has personally been very meaningful to me is 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 13, which says this, for we are co-workers in God's service, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So it's just talking about this passage that we, when we walk in God's will, we build on the right foundation using God, gold, silver, and costly stones. And in contrast, we, um, we don't want to use, as Bill um, Gilham notes in Lifetime Guarantee, we, we don't want to use merely that wood, hay, or straw that will not last. Um, we can do work that looks good. We can do work that is inspirational, that is meaningful to others, but the most meaningful work of all is that which will endure and is that which God has given us to do because we can't create an enduring work um, on our own. So if you're in a place where you, you don't really like where God has you or you feel like you don't have the you know the the huge stage you thought you would have or the huge audience or you don't feel like anyone even knows or notices or cares what you do on a daily basis. You feel invisible. You feel like John Keats said that your name is just written in water. It's just all floating away and there's nothing meaningful that's really being left. This is an encouragement to all of us that the work God gives us is that which is meaningful, whether we see those immediate results or not, and that our measuring stick for evaluating whether what we're doing is meaningful or not is not what the world says. It's not if we have, you know, um, wealth or a huge audience or a million awards on our wall. Those are not the things that matter when it comes to kingdom work. What matters is doing the will of God. And it may be small. It may not feel meaningful. But that can be a huge source of inspiration to us and encouragement that when we're disappointed with where we're at, we can, like it says in Isaiah 49, 4, instead of focusing on our lack of results, we can say, you know what, let God evaluate me. God is the one who will determine and he ultimately is the one who decides what's meaningful or not. So if I am in his will, if I'm doing what he wants, then I am truly doing work that is meaningful, that will endure the test of time and 
perhaps we won't gain it in this life, but when we get to the end of our life and we're in eternity, we can have the perspective and look and God will show us what impact we had that we couldn't see while we were here. Let's just go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, maybe some of us listening are in very difficult places. Maybe we feel alone. Maybe we feel forgotten. Maybe we feel discouraged because the work that you have us do may not be very visible. We may be in a place that feels very hidden. We may feel like everything we do is unnoticed or is just amounting to absolutely nothing. And we may be a little confused because we may have envisioned a different place for ourselves. But Lord, help us just to be encouraged that the best work, the only work that matters is that which you give us to do that endures a test of time. And yes, we need to work to to put food on the table. But Lord, even a mundane job that we consider not to be our favorite thing to do can be a place of ministry. Um, you have placed us where we are for a reason. So Lord, if we're walking in your will, help us just to rest and know that what we're doing is meaningful and that when discouragement and despair threaten to steal in on us because we look at others who may be more visible, may have bigger audiences, may have a, a different realm of influence just that seems to be better than where we are. Help us to know, Lord, that, you know, to trust that, that what we're doing is best if we're following you, that you know what's best, Lord, and that true work that stands the test of time that will remain eternally is that which we do in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.